Welcome to Rob's Reliability Project, a podcast for maintenance and reliability people to better themselves both at home and at work. Now let's get rolling. Welcome to Rob's Reliability Project. I'm Rob Kalvaroski. Thank you for listening to the show. And if you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe to Rob's Reliability Project on your favorite podcast platform, as well as share it with your colleagues. If you're looking for more content, check out or follow Rob's Reliability Project on LinkedIn and Facebook for some different types of content and check out robsreliability.com as well. If you're looking for a short daily audio tip, subscribe to Rob's Reliability Tip of the Day on your favorite podcast platform. As well, it's also available on Amazon Alexa as a flash briefing. So check that out. Finally, if there are any topics, guests you'd like to hear from, questions you want answered, or if you'd like to appear on the podcast, just send me an email to robsreliabilityproject at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Now let's get rolling. Hey guys, I'm here with Bob Latino. If you didn't listen to it last time, Bob, we did a great podcast on root cause analysis. Bob, how are you? I'm doing fine. Thank you. Thanks for having me again. Appreciate it. Thanks for, yeah, thanks for coming back on. Uh, I appreciate it. I'm sure everyone listening appreciates it too. I hope so. I hope they're not getting tired of me already. <laughs> so last time, you know, we talked last time about root cause analysis and, th- and I wanted to have you back on because we kind of touched on it a little bit, but it's a topic, you know, that we, we've talked a lot about on LinkedIn, uh, with respect to living reliability, kind of, I relate this usually with our health. And the reason for that is, you know, like in terms of assets are, in my opinion, our most important asset is our health because without it, we can't really do anything. And and that was kind of the reason I've had uh, Dr. Latouche on the podcast a few times is we talked a lot about proactive maintenance for our health. So, I wanted to have you on because your your dad, Charles Latino, had 14 principles on living reliability. So do you want to give us a kind of an overview of how you see living reliability? Yeah, I'll give you an overview. And I, I know that you had the, uh, the, the you wanted to go through the 14 and probably to refresh my memory, if, you, if you'll read those back to me, I'll just comment on each of those. But in general, uh and I don't, I don't think this is unusual just because I grew up, uh, you know, my father had been doing this since 1951. And I kind of feel like I, I grew up in a household of reliability. Uh, it, you know, I've always been taught it's a, it's a constant state of foresight, always seeing the future ahead of time and making corrections along the way. And, and that's not just something you do at work. I mean, that's just the way you become. So, uh, you know, I, I, I still I remember him, uh, I'll just tell a story when I was growing up to tell you how what it was like in my house is that uh, he, he built when he built his new house it was it was reliability and design. Uh, we're we're just in a small blue collar city over here in Hopewell, Virginia, uh, outside of two hours south of D.C. And he he wanted to have a uh, a full metal structure uh, fire escape put on his house, and he went to the local uh, uh, codes people and he was looking for building codes associated with a with a full 
uh, attached <laughs> metal fire escape. Well, the, you know, this town is only about 20,000 people. They're, they're looking at him like he's crazy. He's going, what are you talking about? <laughs> so they didn't exist, but he, he had it designed and he had that put on his house as, as a safety measure to be able to exit the house. The, the codes back then for the electrical system in the house, that all the wiring, uh, they required aluminum at the time. Well, he, he, didn't, uh, he knew the expansion and uh, contraction thermal characteristics of aluminum, and that, that wasn't good enough for him, and he wanted the copper. So he had his whole house uh, wired in copper. Uh, yeah, everything about it. I mean, he, just, uh, he treated it just like he did at the plant when he was head of maintenance, reliability, and engineering. So it just translated to his house. So that's kind of the environment that I was always raised in. No, that's a great story. So I guess, so you're having a kind of a hurricane on the East Coast here. How have you applied the living reliability principles to, you know, the potential of a hurricane? I think this is true of any reliability professional is that, you know, you're, you're in the business of foresight, uh, proaction and tomorrow. So when you look at the, the possibility of a hurricane impacting you, 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 uh, you kind of walk through it. You do a visual walkthrough in your mind of what could happen. And, uh, you know, you can envision losing power, uh, your cellular service, uh, water, and then, you know, the access to gasoline. Because if you don't have power, you're not likely pumping gasoline. So when you have a hurricane and you get used to, to preparations for this type of thing, this won't be anything new to anybody on a coastline. You know, you start to plan for that. You got you got one gallon of water per person per day is the norm uh, that you'll have for hurricane prep. You'll, you'll have a generator and you'll, you'll test your generators and you'll have gas ready. If you're going to lose power. You're probably not going to have access to ATMs to get some cash. If you're going to lose your oven and your house because of power that you would have propane to be able to go ahead and uh, cook something on the grill. Make sure all your uh, papers, your important papers, things of that nature are uh, secured in a watertight location. So, you know, there's a lot of other things like that. But, uh, you know, you just see it happening ahead of time and you prepare accordingly. I think that most people in the reliability uh, profession uh, see things before they happen. And, uh, you know, that makes that makes all the difference in the world because then uh, everything is planned and not uh, unplanned. And, and as we know in maintenance, planned is always better than unplanned. And it's safer. Absolutely. Although some would argue with me about that, right, Rob? <laughs> that'll, be, that'll be part three. Yeah, that'll be part three. <laughs> yeah, so I wanted to go through them one by one and then just, like I have them written down, I'll read them out, and then you can give your comments on, you know, kind of what they mean or, or elaborate on them. Sure. Perfect. So the first one, beyond 45 years old, get a comprehensive physical each year, eat well, and exercise. Yeah. Again, this gets back to being common sense, but, you know, you uh, do you treat your body like you treat a critical asset at the plant? So, you know, you're, you're, uh, when you're looking at comprehensive physicals and the, you know, the diet and exercise, uh, that, that's the, you know, when we go do uh, our PMs on our critical equipment, do we do the same for ourselves? So this is no different than the, the proactive principles. You know, I, I forget what I named the paper when I wrote it for a healthcare uh, journal. Uh, it was applying the reliability bathtub curve to the human body. And, uh, you know, is, is there uh, differences conceptually? And, you know, certainly uh, in, in healthcare, I think it's about in 
for a lifetime, 80% of the cost for your health care will be in the last 10 years of your life. Well, just look at that and relate that to the, uh, the wear out phase of the reliability bathtub curve. So there's a lot of things that we can do to make our, our steady state of uh, our life uh, more reliable. So I just say treat, treat your body like you treat a uh, critical piece of equipment. Yeah, no, my uh, my grandparents always used to say to me, Rob, never get old. <laughs> That's right. All in your head. <laughs> so number two, assign subordinates the tasks that they have the training and desire to perform. People who want to do something are more effective than people who have have to do something. Well, I'll, I'll take this back to my, one of my favorite topics of the RCA. You know, the we, we've been doing that for a long time. And you look in your career and you say, who, who are the best analysts that we've ever trained? And they were it, it, undoubtedly, they were the people that wanted to do it as opposed to the people who had to do it. The people who had to do it, it was usually a compliance type of deal where, they, you know, you had to do it uh, to meet the reg- minimum regulatory requirements. And that's what they did. If you have to do it, you just really want it off your plate. And, you, and uh, what you're going to do is meet the minimal compliance uh, requirements. If you want to do it, you're going to be able to measure the results of uh, that when you implement recommendations, you're going to be able to prove that something got better. So just meeting the minimal requirements doesn't mean that anything got better. So it, 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 it's a mentality. The, the people who want to do it will be much better than the people who have to do it. And that's not just RCA. That's anything. No, I couldn't agree more. So number three, develop a reputation for outstanding performance and use it to advance your larger ideas. Now you can you can imagine uh, his group when he was doing this uh, back in 1972 is when they formalized the Research and Development Reliability Engineering Group. You know, back then, nobody ever heard of reliability. And you're in a manufacturing plant and you're uh, you have this reliability group and you're talking about tomorrow stuff. Well, that, that's kind of big ideas uh, back then, because now you're going to have to go to maintenance people and be able to say you want them to, to work together with you. Well, I mean, what are you going to do? Uh, what, what, what do you think a maintenance person is going to say when, you know, ultimate, ultimate reliability is going to be that uh, I don't need maintenance people? You know, if I was totally reliable and things weren't breaking, what, what are you going to do with me? So the, what we had to do was be able to make the business cases to prove that the reason we don't have as many people doing reliability is because we have so many people fixing things. So if you reduce the need to fix things, then you can move more people over to reliability. And that, that starts your glide from the reactive environments to the proactive environments. So you, you really have to, you have to have to package it and you have to make the business case as to... Uh, why these ideas that you're coming up with are going to be beneficial overall to the organization and to the, the lives of the people who would be affected. Absolutely. And this actually ties into number four, which is find ways to exploit the successes of your group through available advertising slash marketing. Yeah, and this gets back again to, to bringing up this thing nobody ever heard of, of reliability in the, in the 70s. And uh now you have to go educate people uh, that they they developed uh, internal marketing campaigns just like you do for safety. You know, you have safety scoreboards. They would have reliability scoreboards. 
So uh, if you're pushing any type of new initiative, there needs to be a constant uh, reminders of the benefits of whatever you're, you're pushing. And in terms of reliability, there, there's a lot of, uh, of those things to be made, a lot of benefits to be experienced. And I was saying that uh, when you do these types of things, uh, to give the people who do these also credit, give them some perks. Let them go speak at conferences about the successes of, of your organization. It, you know, it boosts them up and it makes the company that they're speaking for look more forward thinking. Let them publish papers. But let them come on Rob's reliability and uh, talk about their success. Right, Rob? <laughs> if they if they want to, I'm glad to have them on. <laughs> Everybody loves a real success story. So number five, wrap big ideas in bold and outrageous packages to stimulate dialogue. Yeah, I mean, uh, I go back, uh, using predictive maintenance technologies in the 60s and 70s, you know, the, that's when vibration monitoring and infrared and eddy current was all new, uh, you know, but pe people were, were hesitant to rely on, on tools like that. So uh, it, it took... You had, to, you had to convince people by having results. So, but once people started to see the astounding ROIs from their use, I said the, the fact that it stabilized operations, it reduced everybody's personal stresses as well. Because when you're dealing with those unexpected emergencies, it's very stressful. Now, if I fast forward that today and technologies like uh, you're very familiar with of the artificial intelligence and the internet of things, machine and deep learning, or what I see as the new Star Wars, but now you have to sell it because a lot of people still consider, you know, if you're on the front lines, you see that as all Star Wars stuff. You hear about it, but you don't really see it uh, in action. So I think that, that those are going to be the big, bold ideas uh, today. And now we just have to go back. We have to go out. We have to market it. and We have to sell it with proof. We have to show people that it's working and it's making their lives easier. Yeah, absolutely. And so, when we're when we're selling it, how do we go about doing that? Well, I don't think you're ever going to get away from the what's in it for me. I mean, if if, uh, if you're doing the AI and you're doing the Internet of Things and uh, the, these technologies are just terms to the people that you're trying to sell it to. But what does it mean? Show, show me that if you if you implemented this, how is my life going to get better? can't just be that, you know, this is the research that's come out. It's, it's got to be put into a practical application in the field uh, and say, how, how is this going to benefit me? Yep, absolutely. That was, we took a little detour, but back to the list. So number six, make important people look good. Recognize that others may take full or partial credit for your accomplishments, but they themselves will know who is really making them look good. Uh, I don't know. I, I've, I've always seen my, my entire career in this is that my, my job, my <laughs> success for me is that I, I'm, in, I'm in the business of making other people look good. And if they look good, uh, they know who made them look good. And as they go up the ladder, they, they take the people who made them look good up with them. Yep. They, it works the same for customers too, if you're in a consulting role. Absolutely. It's just human nature. Learn how to think like the people that you need to gain acceptance from. Be smart and strategize how to move those who are stuck in their restraining paradigms. I said, you know, this, this will be a great skill to possess when trying to sell your uh, analysis recommendations to non-technical people. 
as well as selling technologies like we talked about AI and IoT to those people and uh, to the same type of people, the finance type of people and those in the front lines. I've, you know, one tagline I've always used, you cannot do what you cannot imagine. People have to visualize it. So when, you know, when you're, when you're selling AI, uh, you know, again, you're going to be selling the benefits just like I do recommendations, but I have to, I have to use it in the terms of whoever I'm pitching it to. If I, if I have a technical RCA and I'm trying to do my final presentation, if I'm doing it to finance people, they don't really care about all the technical stuff. They care about my recommendations and how is it going to save them money. So I have to talk about the terms in, in, uh, to them in terms of uh, you know, what's going to be the ROI. However, if I was, give, if I was pitching it to the, uh, the final group, my RCA, uh, my, what am I talking about, my leadership group, then I'm going to be sitting there telling them I can use technical language with technical people. But people have to be cognizant of that. I know a lot of times when people don't read their audiences right, that they can miss an opportunity just because they they pitched the wrong message to the wrong type of people. So I think that that's something that uh, you have to be smart about uh, the strategy on how you're selling and who you're selling to. It's, it's got to be uh, a good strategy. Yeah, that's a that's a great tip. So number eight, make training as realistic as possible. Present each idea in three different ways written, spoken, and practiced, and reinforce training with job aids? Well, I think we, we have to recognize that the, the, the training is, is the knowledge and skill. Not Knowledge is the lecture portion, and skill is the demonstrating of the knowledge, the, 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 actual, the actual practical application. We have to make sure that uh, when we conduct training, we're doing it for a valid purpose, where success is not me- measured by how many people showed up or what their critiques look like, or how many hours they sat in the seat. There has to be some type of ROI to, to, uh, to, to show that they've implemented it successfully and you've reaped the benefit from it. How many people in uh, any organization, I, I rarely see it, uh, why, why don't they have an ROI for training dollars? We have, we have ROIs for uh, critical uh, and capital projects. Why don't, why don't we have ROIs for training dollars? I mean, we, we spend, I think the last number I had was about industrial training was about $65 billion a year. And uh, only about 20% of it was ever applied. And then that, that fits with my experience too. Of the, you know, we train thousands of people. But if they go back and there's no expectation of them using it, you know, it's just that they had, uh, you know, the old adage, the mind can only take what the butt can endure. And that means that we go to these same type of safety uh, conferences, not conferences, but the, uh, the OSHA required training. And we do that. We sit there for eight hours and we meet the requirement. Well, it's the same training I went to last year for eight hours. So the requirement is not to get a benefit from it. It's that you showed up. I think that training uh, ought to be taken more seriously and it should be seen as a profit center and say, if I'm going to spend this type of money, I expect a certain amount of money back from it. Yeah. The only, the only kind of firm I can think of that does that is Erudicio does the like ROI based training where they teach you a concept, have you apply it in a project at your company and then they track the financial benefits for it. No, absolutely, and, and that you know they, they've got it going on because um, uh, we we can only do as much as much as we can as consulting firms, uh, but the expectation has to come from these organizations. Uh, you know, you can't 
shouldn't just go out and say, I'm going to pay a couple grand for somebody to go to something and then not, not expect to get something from it. Absolutely. Number nine, don't be afraid to learn. Uh, no, th- this is just a, uh, you know, don't be afraid to learn and don't be afraid to let people know you're, you're, you're not afraid to learn. You, you don't be seen as, uh, you know, I'm, I'm the know-it-all. You know, when I do these uh, RCAs, I rarely know much about any of the, uh, the, the projects that I'm working on, these undesirable outcomes. I, you know, I, I'm a guy that knows how to go through a disciplined questioning process of the subject matter experts. But, I, uh, you know, I, I don't go in there saying that I have the answer. I says, but uh, I'm, I'm, I'm learning. I actually, I learn more from my clients than they learn from me. I can tell you that right now. I just keep collecting it along the way. Yeah. And I like often as reliability people, if, if we go in, no, quote unquote, knowing the answer, we always get it wrong. Yeah. And, and we always have to be cognizant of the fact that, you know, we, we could be wrong. That's why we're, you know, in, we're in the evidence-based business. We, we try to be wrong less. <laughs> uh, number 10, surround yourself with smart people as your advisors. Well, I think that goes without saying. You hear a lot of these, uh, the, the big organizations talking about, uh, the, you know, the, they're, they're good leaders because uh, they have smart people around them. Uh, you know, even even in our small business here, you know, I, I've got I surround myself with smart people. Uh, you know, I have CPAs and I have lawyers and I have engineers. And, uh, you know, it's not that I need to know it all, but I need to know the people who do know it all. That, that's the same. Anybody, uh, you know, doing reliability, uh, anybody doing uh, root cause analysis. I, I don't know. I'm not a metallurgist myself. But, uh, you know, when I when I have a need for a metallurgist, those people are much smarter than me. I, I know uh, I'm resourceful. I need to reliability. People are resourceful. I can go out and get the talent that I need to be able to uh, to prove what I need to prove. Yeah. And I, I think that's one thing just uh, in, in general in life is is don't try to learn. I mean, obviously try to learn, but. If you have a weakness, it's okay to just admit that you're weak at it and kind of outsource it to an expert in that field. Uh, you know, it's, a, it's human nature. And you've heard, uh, we've had discussions about this before, is about uh, looking in the mirror. And that's kind of what we do for a living in terms of uh, investigations, is that uh, when you find that you have systemic uh, organizational system flaws, you know, management can't get upset at the fact that you've uncovered a weakness within a system. Because if they act like it didn't happen and they get mad about it and they try to discredit everything, you know, you're, the, the roots of that are still there. They're still growing. Yeah, sometimes you just got to look in the mirror and say, I'm part of the problem. That's the only way you're going to progress. Absolutely. Uh, number 11, think bigger than the immediate situation. What is possible from the bigger picture's point of view? Well, I said part of being proactive is to see the big picture and then work backwards. You know, envision uh, what the end look like looks like and then comes backwards. Uh, often this takes the form of tying whatever we do to the company vision, mission, and uh, shared values. You know, that's part of being, we talked earlier about uh, strategic and getting what you want and uh, being able to make your business case. But you're going to get a lot more support if you tie your RC, your reliability and RCA efforts to corporate dashboards. 
Because if you can prove that you're narrowing the gap on those uh, KPIs, then you're going to get a lot more support. So that, that's, you know, it's political and it's strategic. But if you can prove to the leadership that what the things that you are doing are narrowing their gaps, uh, you're going to get a lot more help. Yeah, and that, that alignment is so huge in organizations. Uh, you know, I, I talk to that all the time about RCA with uh, looking at it as a, uh, some people look at it as a task as opposed to a system. You know, when you're doing it one-offs, it's, it's really hard to tie it to a, a corporate KPI as opposed to looking at it at, as a system and looking at annualized uh, benefits that you're getting out of that, that, you know, they, they reduce injuries, they reduce uh, cost, uh, they, they improve uh, production, you know, anything like that. Number 12. So recognize that the small failures are the precursors to larger catastrophic failures. It is proactive to analyze them using root cause analysis and prevent their potential consequences. Well, I don't think that this is new news to anybody either. But, uh, you know, typically we're doing the RCA when something really bad happens because every organization will have triggers, uh, either internal triggers or they'll have regulatory triggers. So, you know, in our line of work, it's uh, somebody's... Uh, either seriously injured or there's a fatality, you've lost a lot of money, you've released something into the air and had an incident. Uh, but those are really, uh, you know, that, that's totally reactive when you're looking at those type of things. So only applying RCA under those conditions, you're really selling yourself short. Uh, the majority of your losses are going to be from the chronic failures that happen every shift every day that uh, don't rise to the level of the trigger. So what happens with those things, and a lot of times they don't even get in your CMMS systems because uh, you're so used to fixing them and you got so good at fixing them that uh, it takes longer to enter into the CMMS system than it does to fix it. These may be uh, 5, 10, 15 minute things that we're just doing all the time. So uh, if we if we did put a microscope on those small things that are occurring and how many times are happening uh, on a full year. Uh, we'd learn that the chronic failures far outweigh the sporadic failures, yet we, we, we really build them into our budgets as a cost of doing business. Uh, we don't even see them as a failure anymore. It's just my turn to fix it. <laughs> yep, they're just, that's just a cost that we, we bear. Well, and I don't know a lot of people that, that'll sparse out that, that Pareto cut of those on an annualized basis, not on a, a weekly uh, bad actors list type of thing, but on an annual basis, you know, because 20% or less of those uh, failure types that are occurring uh, are costing you 80% of your annual losses. Yep. So that's definitely something that people out there should do. Absolutely. Number 13, have faith in your abilities as you will often face hurdles that seem insurmountable. Yeah, reliability is about being in the tomorrow business, and we have to pro uh, project and predict what will be. You know, when you're looking into the future, you obviously have uncertainty and risk. However, if we are in a constant state of the foresight, as I've mentioned before, so this risk will be minimized, uh, and we, we will have thought through all the possible scenarios associated with a, the with a plan for the future. We will never be perfect. And, and have absolute certainties, so, uh, but we can try to get as close as we can. And, I, and I, I'll bring back the uh, like the disaster preparedness. 
you know, you, you don't you don't know what's coming. Uh, you have to foresee all of the different combinations of things that could happen, and you have to be prepared for it. Uh, these uh, I was thinking about this uh, today. What you know, people like the Secret Service when they go out and, and say a, the president has to speak at a certain location. Think of all the prep work that has to be done about uh, you know protecting the president in an open type of forum. Uh, so you know they're in the reliability business too. Is that you have to actually see a walkthrough of this happening before it does, before it uh, actually materializes, and then look at all the ways that you can prevent any bad things from happening. It really, it really does become, uh, you can't get away from it. If you do this for a living, it's not something that you just go to work and turn on, and when you go home, you turn off. It, you, you'll, you'll treat your personal life like that too. That Secret Service example is a great one. Yeah, I mean, I just, uh, I just think, well, even use the hurricane thing here on the disaster preparedness and, and, a, and a governor. Think of the, the magnitude of a, the decision of a governor uh, evacuating a city or an entire coastline in the Carolinas. Think of how many agencies have to be activated to do that. I mean, that's a major, major decision. And, uh, and, and it's extremely costly. But, you know, you foresee what could happen and uh, the risks were, uh, weren't worth it. I mean, pulling those people, uh, you, you didn't want to suffer that. Uh, the risk was too high. Absolutely. And so the last one, have fun and enjoy the experience. Reliability is truly gratifying when you are able to challenge the limits. Yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah, uh, I'm at the age now where, where if I can't have fun doing something, I don't want to do it. <laughs> it just becomes a choice. And when you get to a certain age, you see what, how much time you got left. You say, uh, I'm, I'm just into having fun now. So reliability has to be fun for you. People in the reliability profession will thrive in environments where their creativity, foresight, and attention to detail is celebrated and not discouraged. Because we all know that when, you, when you're the big idea person, and you go in an organization and uh, they, you know, they, they just keep deflating you and discouraging you, you leave. <laughs> you, you can't, you can't. If you're a, a reliability person and you're always being proactive and you're in such a reactive environment, you go nuts. So you got to find some place that, that you fit. So uh, I, I think that that's one thing that uh, people, people, people are just wired like that. Uh, if you're a reactive person and you, and you live on adrenaline and you want to be uh, getting the one get, getting the pats on the back for uh, responding to things, then this is not the, the business for you. You want to be in the business of preventing those things from happening and uh, and get and being able to to get equal amount of recognition for that. Yeah, and it, like it ties back into number two, which was like people who want to do something are more effective. It's just. If you if you're having fun and enjoying reliability, you're just going to be better at your job. You're going to learn more. You're going to do more. You're going to be more effective. And and you know, there's not a uh, when you look at this conceptually reliability. I mean, it, it it fits any type of organizational system. So it's not that you uh, are uh, committed to having to work in a certain industry. I mean, reliability applies to whether you're in a, in a hospital, in a nuclear plant, uh, at a UPS facility. It, it doesn't matter. Yeah, the options the options for industries, at least, are, are pretty much endless. So that, that kind of wraps up the list. Bob, do you have any final thoughts about living reliability? 
Yeah, it, it just boils down to you practice what you preach. Uh, you know, you, you whatever you do at work in reliability, uh, you can apply those principles at home. I, I always try to encourage people because I think that the healthcare industry can learn so much from the uh, the high hazard industries. Is that I encourage uh, people who have this I don't know, a proclivity to, to, to reliability to uh, help their local communities. Uh, take take the skills that you have of, of reliability engineering and uh, make yourself available to help your your local hospitals and your healthcare systems because uh, they have a lot to learn from uh, from people like us and they can use the help. <laughs> yeah, they definitely can use the help. Um, so, Bob, uh, obviously, if anyone wants to get in touch with you, uh, LinkedIn is a great spot, and then. Uh, reliability.com is there any do you have any conferences coming up anything else you want to talk about no i got a couple of those uh i'm doing uh, some insurance healthcare insurance company conferences coming up and uh the, the national association of healthcare quality conference i think it's in minneapolis uh november-ish so I, I bounce around as you know uh, i told you i was a formal instigator uh, <laughs> i go i bounce Ability, maintenance, safety, uh, healthcare. So, like I said, it, 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 uh, reliability is pretty universal, so it applies anywhere. Yeah, that's the that's the next one. Part three is is safety. People don't use data. <laughs> well, I wouldn't go as far as to say that, <laughs> but, but uh, I I was just uh, extremely interested in how the safety people view the field of reliability and why. So it was surprising to me to learn uh, the the that perspective because it was nothing like I had perceived it to be. <laughs> yeah, they they weren't a fan of KPIs. I guess that's a teaser for the next one, Rob. Right? <laughs> that's right. So anyone who's listening, if you haven't already subscribed to the podcast, it's available on ten different platforms. There's also the reliability tip of the day audio, which I'll post on LinkedIn every morning, but you can also subscribe to that one. I hope you enjoyed this one. Remember, get your hurricane preparedness kit together. Build a metal staircase on the side of your house if you haven't had one yet. 